hello and welcome to Bella Figura, the tradition of living beautifully. I am your host, Dolores Alfieri Taranto. On this show, we talk spirituality for the rest of us with a focus on the art of beautifying all facets of your life using heritage, culture, beauty by hand, ancestral traditions, and old world style as a means to do so. All in a straight talk manner with minimal spiritual woo-woo. Really excited that you're here. Going to be a great season. You're going to learn a lot. You're going to be inspired. I'm having wonderful conversations with amazing people who are really living, living their dreams, living their creativity, just full of inspiration and life. So buckle up (laughs) and stay tuned. My guest for today is Kay Foy. Kay is a knife maker and artist who grew up in Princeton, New Jersey, where her love of horses began. After leaving the hustle and bustle of work in New York City, Kay became a rancher in Colorado. And in 2018, she began to learn the art of knife making and began forging legacy knives, handmade knives with the mementos of a client's life forged within the handle. Kay combines an aesthetically appealing blend of ranch life, artistry, and blacksmithing into her creative expression. Now, I wanted to have Kay on as a guest because I was inspired by her hands-on brand of work, which also incorporates being an artist, as well as a ruggedness, like this kind of classic American sense of freedom and this relationship with the outdoors. And frankly, I think we need a whole lot more of that in this mind-dominated world of ours. Now, I want to take a minute to tell you about something that I'm really passionate about. If you know me personally, you've heard me talk about dry farm wines every opportunity I get. If you're ever around my table for dinner or I ever come to your home for dinner, I have to pull out my wine my bottles of wine that I get from my dry farm subscription and tell you all about the subscription, tell you all about the wine we're about to drink and why I so love this company and their products. Now I'm so excited to be able to share dry farm wines with all of you. So to start, I didn't drink wine for a while except the homemade wine that my family makes. And I'll tell you why. If you've been listening to the show and, and following me on social media, etc., you know that I'm I'm pretty health conscious. So I would be working out, eating all this good clean food, and then dun dun dun, you'd want some wine out with your girlfriends or having a nice dinner. And I just could not bring myself to drink these bottles of wine that were just loaded with additives and weird chemicals, dyes, and also tons of sugar. It was like undoing all the other, you know, healthy things I do for myself regularly. So I just, I just stopped buying wine and I really just stopped drinking it. And I will tell you that I never drank white wine. At home, we only make red wine. And because of everything I just told you, I just didn't drink white wine. It was so loaded with sugar. It gave me such a headache that I just thought white wine is for the birds and they can have it. These wines that they distribute come from small vineyards. They're mostly in Europe because honestly, they they can't find vineyards in America who meet all their standards. So these beautiful wines They source them from all these family-owned, small, you know, old-world type vineyards. And the wines are organic. They're biodynamic, which means, you know, the the farms, the vineyards that the grapes are grown on are their own ecosystems where there will be the planting of other vegetation and even having animals that help to organically and naturally sustain the soil and crops. So that all in and of itself is beautiful. I was sold (laughs) just on that. But what really has me being a completely passionate dry farm member is that there's no sugar in the wines. There's no added sugar. It's just whatever sugar would naturally be, you know, in grapes, in fruit, 
check your next bottle of supermarket wine and just see how many grams of sugar are, are in it. And then compare it to a dry farm bottle, which will have less than one gram of sugar for the entire bottle. Yes, you heard me correctly. The entire bottle will have less than one gram of sugar in it. That was the selling point for me. Ever since I discovered Dry Farms, I also started drinking white wine again, and it's been a whole new world. Oh my gosh, what I was missing. Over the summer, this past summer, I had my shipments changed to a box of white wines. I even had some bubbly sent to me for a few months, and it was so refreshing and tasty. I'm so excited to share what I have been enjoying with you. This is a really an old world product. It's grown an old world way, harvested in an old world way, and it's delicious in an old world way. So listen, I wanted to learn more about wine. It's such a big part of my culture, and I know it is for so many people and their respective cultures. I want you to take this journey with me Let's up-level not only our homes and our spirituality and our spiritual practices, but what we eat and what we drink. So if you want to check out Dry Farm Wines for yourself, I'm so excited to tell you that you can use my link specifically created for Bella Figura listeners. And that link is dryfarmwines.com backslash Bella Figura. That's B-E-L-L-A-F-I-G-U-R-A. And if you become a Dry Farm member, and I really hope that you do, I promise you, you will not be disappointed. You'll get an extra bottle for just a penny with your first order of wine when you use my link. Again, the link is dryfarmwines.com slash Bella Figura, and I will link to that in my show notes. So please join me on this journey. It's going to be a really fun season and dry farm wines is definitely going to be a part of it. Okay. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited that you're here. We've been chatting a little bit before we hopped on and, and recorded and we have a lot in common, which is nice. We're from the same region. And I learned a lot about you just in that few minutes of chatting. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta love Italians. I'll tell you everything you need to know right away. <laughs> it's so true. East Coast Italians, especially. Oh my goodness, I know. And I let people know that you are outside of New Orleans in Louisiana, yeah. and you're on a farm and remote. So you are on your phone and you know you don't have great internet service so just let people know that if if things are a little kinky as we talk like little not kinky let me re-say that that sounded funny (laughs) what what kind of podcast is this (laughs) if things have some kinks if things have some kinks as we go on that's why (laughs) you might have to leave that in actually i think you actually Okay, so as we begin here, before we start, actually, Kay, I wanted to tell you how I came across your work. Yes, I'm so curious. Yeah, I'm, I'm, so I'm curious. sure. I think I, w- I I get that. How do people find you or find anybody? It's always very interesting. Well, you were so you were so like mysterious about it when we were emailing. You're like, I'll tell you how I found you on, <laughs> when we speak, and I'm like, okay, You're like, oh dear. <laughs> Well, it's kind of a, not a long story, but I think detailed, you know, so I was like, I'll just save it instead of typing it. So it was around, it was last year at some point and it was neck deep in quarantine Mm. and also all of the social unrest that happened over the summer. Yeah. I had just launched this podcast basically right before we went into quarantine. I had established my first podcast, the Italian American podcast. We'd expanded it. I have great friends and partners who really took over the helm. And I had just needed to expand from that after doing that for Mm -hmm. so many years. I'm sure you understand. Absolutely. Right. I felt like I had kind of hit my creative limits with it. And this was a show that I, I always wanted to do. And I wanted to talk to so many other people, not just Italian Americans. And I had started the show and everything was going so well. It was really this big launch. And I I just, like a lot of people hit this place where I just felt 
defeated. I just feel like overwhelmed by everything yeah. that was going on. I didn't know how to move forward. Social media was a war zone. Mm-hmm. Everything just felt so uninspiring. And I just pulled back pretty hard. Spent time with my family, my husband, my son. And months went on and I was at this point where I felt like I wasn't doing anything with my hands. Mm-hmm. I just felt like I was so cerebral and emotional and I was lacking this this an outlet like an outlet with my hands that I've always loved and always needed and I had almost forgotten that and so I started of all things I mean I did something not hands-on I started searching YouTube for inspiration (laughs) (laughs) I mean you're using your hands to type so right there you go (laughs) and uh, you know Stetson is a brand that I follow and I love the whole idea of the rugged and, and the west and all that and you have a they have a beautiful short film I mean I, I guess it's what you would call it featuring mm-hmm. you yeah that's a pretty wild thing that you stumbled across <laughs> and that's what I stumbled across and I started watching it and I was like, who is this person this is amazing this is her life this is what she's doing and I'll link to it in the show notes so that listeners can watch it themselves but to give a quick overview I mean you're you're riding horses you're in the saddle you're in your studio hands-on, making knives. There's lots of sparks <laughs> and machinery <laughs> and this just beautiful rural setting. And I watched it several times because you gave me what I was looking for. It just sparked something and inspired me. And I thought, I need to make things again. Yeah, I'm Real so thing. glad to know that. I'll tell you the backstory behind all of that. But, Please do, um, yeah. To know that there was one person out there that, that felt that magic about... I always say it's like magic fingers. Like when I'm ready to be creative, it's like this... Okay, so like as... We'll just keep talking about Italians. But as Italians, we talk about <laughs> <our hands, laughs> whatever. But I find that when I go through my walls of creativity, but when I'm really, really ready to create, my hands, I can feel it. Like I can mm. feel this thing in my hands and the, the Stetson video is such a out of the blue came at a really wild point in my life I wasn't sure what would come of it I had ideas but I learned very quickly on in this industry you know the creative world that there's a lot of talk and so you can't really get excited excited until after it happens oh sort that's of a thing. so true so Stetson's is first hat I ever had I have like this whole connection with Stetson and what that means and it was sort of my identity when I lived in Colorado it was like I was a wrangler I was always wearing these Stetson hats I worked for a a little retail store I shouldn't say little they're actually huge and amazing which is like defining the wild west with luxury oh that sounds amazing I need to look that up okay really really cool shop and that's also how I got into the whole knife making thing but so for me it was like I don't know I just loved wearing hats it was like it felt right and then all of a sudden I'm living in Alaska and I'm making knives in Georgia and I come back to Colorado and this amazing photographer videographer Preston had reached out and everything really happened very quickly I was not expecting like straight out of my apprenticeship I was I had a commission of 50 knives I was not prepared at all for what was gonna happen but this amazing who's become like my little brother we talk all the time he's so creative and he's only 24 25 years old this kid is going to like blow up the world with what he does he's the one who who uh, did the video and all the photos for Stetson but he reached out and asked if I wanted to do this thing with him and and then that video came out and I was living in Tennessee at the time and I got this follower Christopher Chevalier. So anyway, I, and long story, I moved to Louisiana and then this Christopher Chevalier that I started talking a lot and it turns out that he found me through the Stetson video and we are getting married in October. Oh, what a story. <laughs> I was assuming that that video must have opened you up to more people and a wider audience. I didn't realize it was how you met your fiance, which is just amazing. But I'm assuming something like that must have opened up your world and your Yeah, work. it did. It connected me to companies like Modern Huntsman, which connected me to Vortex. Really interesting connection to the Western world and then the hunting world. And then like 
like the high-end art world and then the knife world. It's not just the knife world. I think it's being a female knife maker, but also having like a different sort of approach to my knife making has really opened up a lot of doors. And Stetson was the one who really just put it out there for me. It's still like I pinch myself all the time. It's Well, it's a beautiful video. It completely inspired me. It really helped me kind of get up and realize, not realize, re-remember who I am and how, and what I need to do for myself. And I just, I've just haven't stopped. Even if it's, you know, just taking photographs, which I love to do. I kind of just, mm-hmm. I, you know, when you go through those phases, it just, you almost forget what, what inspires me. I don't know. It's weird. It's a yeah. weird phenomena. Well, what's really interesting about your story is that where you were is where I am. I'm constantly trying to like reach back to parts of my life where I felt like I was like, when I say this, I don't, I don't mean this in like an arrogant way, but it was like very fearless at one point where it was like, Mm. just bold. I wasn't afraid of failing. I wasn't afraid of what people were going to see, or I just was kind of doing whatever it was. And I had all this energy then as far as like my creativity, when I was like using pairs of Levi jeans and handles because I didn't have any material. And now I find myself in this place where I think I'm having like some kind of a post pandemic (laughs) crisis where like the pandemic for me was, I was already isolated. I was able to be on social media and find it as something that wasn't overwhelming, but something where I could connect because I wasn't I hadn't been able to connect really physically when I first moved here. And then like six or seven months after I moved here is when the pandemic happened. But now that the pandemic is, we're kind of transitioning into something else and some some sense of normalcy again, I'm creatively really in just a different place where I'm trying to figure out, do I want to keep doing knives? And And I will, I will keep doing knives. But I think for me, it's more about the handlework that I do. And like the story that tells Mm. and how I can translate that work into other objects and not just just knives, which Um, makes so much sense to me. But knowing that you, you found some kind of inspiration, gosh, that just like, you just like opened up a whole new way for me to look at all of this and find some of my own inspiration again. So timing, the timing of life. (laughs) It is, it is. I think the the thing is we live currently, especially in this country in such a cerebral technological world Yeah, in a way that human beings have never done that the innate need to work with your hands remains we're human beings yeah but we're living in a society that's telling us it doesn't matter you don't need to do it but for someone like me who's creative in so many ways it's something I have to do and it could be gardening it could be making bread it could be taking photos and setting up the still life that I'm about to take and I actually think a lot of us are kind of messed up because all this stuff is coming to us so easily. Mm-hmm. Everything is at our fingertips. And I just don't think we're wired for that. Information overload. More and more and more instant gratification. One of the really interesting things I've come across with this is working in New York, what we had talked about before we started recording was like this idea of move, 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 let's go. There's yep. a place if it needs to happen, it has to happen. Real-time orders were coming in when I worked in the footwear industry, and it was like things were just moving all the time. And then all of a sudden you're in this little shop in the middle of nowhere, Louisiana, where you don't have any service, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) And your clients are like, I'm going to send you ashes from my grandfather and quilts that my great-great-grandmother made and sea glass that I found when I was walking down the beach with my late husband or like I have chills work I do now legacy work and sometimes I can't pick up the work to do it because it's just really really intense I got some things from some people that I feel I have to sort of sit and process and learn how to not connect to their story before I like spend 
hours with these knives. The point of it is that it's instant gratification. And so as someone who has dedicated their lives to working with their hands, you're under a pressure that isn't, isn't realistic. People are like, okay, well, I want this now. And you're trying to set deadlines and you're trying really hard to figure out a way that you can meet people's expectations, but it's also art. And it's also something that it can take anywhere from 20 hours to 60, 70, 80 hours on one knife because of the materials that I'm working with. And sometimes I've never worked with them before and I'm not charging them for all of that time. I see it as sweat equity and I'm learning and I know what I can and can't do and I'm grateful for it. But all of a sudden you have clients who are like, I need it. I need it now. Right. Right. This is Amazon. I was Um, just going to say, it's like that prime mentality. It's bleeding into everything. It's like a I don't know. It's almost, I want to say it's this instinctual feeling to want it right now because I'm sometimes bleeding. My hands are bleeding sometimes like working, trying to get these things out to people. So we live in a strange time. We do. We do. But I I think you there, I think what we all need, or I I should speak for myself, what I need and the way that I would like to live with myself and my family and my world and my work is to have a better understanding that if I'm ordering paper goods from mass produced paper goods from Amazon, maybe the expectation that it arrives quickly is fine. But if I'm ordering an heirloom artist, that is going to take time. I have projects that have sat for a year because the materials that they have sent me are so heavy that I can't emotionally wrap my head around, around it. Like heavy emotionally, you mean, not weight. Yeah. So that Stetson story that I had done was talking about like, what's your legacy, collecting materials to, from your past to like make memories in the future idea is really where my work is. I think where I'm most grounded in my work. I love making like a random knife with random materials, but I think the majority of my clients are coming to me because I make these pieces that tell their story. So they go on these treasure hunts and they find pieces of their life that hold meaning to them that maybe have been sitting around or they're just just looking at them and they want to turn it into something that has a new meaning and then they're going to use that tool to make more memories with, basically. So for one, there was a gal that I know from when I lived in Colorado. She's a horse girl too and her husband didn't wake up one morning. And I had no idea that this had happened, but I was doing a raffle and I asked everybody to tell their story. And everyone kind of had to share their story about like why they wanted a knife for them and why they wanted a knife for another person. And she shared the story that, you know, her husband had passed and her brother had been there for her throughout this whole entire experience. And she would really love to give him something. And even though she didn't win the raffle, I still felt like so compelled to do this for her anyway Mm -hmm. and that took me a really long time to sort of be able to sit with the materials that she sent me because you know some of her her husband's ashes and stones that they had collected and bear claws from like hunts that they had been on and elk antler and all of these components of their life and sometimes you just sit with I don't know it's just it's a lot so she was really great and very patient (laughs) I mean I was able to like explain that to her but it's the interesting place I found myself in with this knife industry. I'm assuming listeners have picked up so far that you you do make knives just on your own. And also a big part of what you do is you take items from people's lives that they want, that are meaningful to them and want preserved. And you you use those in the making of the handle of the, the knife. I, did I sum that up correctly? 100%. Yeah. And I, I'm pretty sensitive person. I'm a writer as well. So life stories hit me very hard. Sounds like that's what you're saying, that people are sending you their, their life story in artifacts. Basically. Yeah. I got chills a couple time, a couple times. And this morning I took a, I took a screenshot. I was telling you before we got on that I was up in the middle of the night because my, my son woke me up and then I couldn't go back to sleep. And I, I thought, let me just do a little more research for today's, our, you know, our conversation today. And I took a screenshot of this one post you did on Instagram. And 
I read it to my husband this morning and I choked up at the end because of the, the items that this person had sent you. I just think it's such a beautiful project, such a beautiful idea. And I'll just read it so the listeners understand you. This knife was made for a fifth generation cattle rancher here in the Roaring Fork Valley. His amazing wife and my dear friend, Amy, put together the most thoughtful materials and even hiked up a snowy hill to gather some bones from her husband's favorite roping horse, Woody, who recently passed away. And then you say, inside the handle, bone, elk tooth, his father's ashes, bone from Woody, horse tooth, wood from the trails his wranglers ride through, Levi's, two quarters from 2004 and 2014, the year his sons were born. And I just choked up at the end of that list, reading it to my husband. It's such an honor to be able to to do what I do. You hear so many stories and storytelling is everything. It's like how it can pass down. And so to be in this place where um, it's being passed through me, it's like, I just have to sit. I just have to listen. I just have to learn. I have to be humble when I'm feeling stunted. Like, what does that mean? What a gift this client is giving me to go a little bit deeper within myself and like figure out where I'm stuck. Doing podcasts as well, people need to tell their stories. And I don't know how many people listen. And I happen to be a listener. I mean, I'm a talker too, but (laughs) clearly, (laughs) but I do love hearing people's stories. And I, I always have. And the more you listen to people's stories, the more you realize how much they need to share them. Yeah. It's so true. It's so true. I left my house when I was 16 and I've just been around a lot of different people and lived a lot of different lives. I think the one thing that I always take with me is just stories. I think what I found through the pandemic was that people are looking for something. I have so many people who are following the work, not because of the knife, but because of the story that I was telling. I had to switch up the way I was doing things. So like for a very long time, very long time, like two years, I was I was just <laughs> making knives. But when the pandemic happened, I had to figure out a way to make something that was more accessible to a different audience. I still needed to like have a living during this time. So I had to find a way to make my knives less expensive, mm. which was thing. I lost a bunch of commissions during the beginning because I had some big weddings that were lined up for groomsmen, mm. uh, other things. And like everything just kind of, people couldn't spend the money. They didn't know when they were getting married. Totally fine. Point is, is that I started to seek out other ways of, making knives in a way that was a little expensive. I found that there was a clientele that had been following that didn't know what to do with a fixed blade. And then I started making these pocket knives and it was just like a great gift to give or something that a normal knife person would feel more comfortable carrying in their purse or their back pocket instead of like this fixed blade in a sheath on their belt. Right. I think that that sort of over time started to translate into... What else can we do with that? Should we make steak knives and forks and spoons and ladles? The options are endless, but there's something about the kitchen I think that's really important as far as storytelling goes. And that's kind of where Chris and I are going now. Chris has, you know, stepped in and is making knives as well. Again, it goes back to storytelling. Like, right. you know, it's in the video, you know, it talks about sitting around the kitchen table and listening to people share stories and like the laughter that comes with being Italian and like, you know, everyone's mm-hmm. in the kitchen and, or, you know, just being family in general. It's there's the kitchen is a place where a lot of these really special things happen. And so we find a way to continue to tell stories that reach other people without just having them be knives, but it's like something that they can share in the kitchen. It's just, I feel like it's just a great way for people to continue to connect. Absolutely. And I, that, that's on my list of things I wanted to talk to you about, you know, your, your new endeavor with your fiance is because you mentioned before you noticed, you realized there was a lot of people following you who weren't necessarily knife people. I wouldn't call myself a knife person. That's interesting. I, I, I started following you because you were obviously creative. You're obviously artistic, but it was this very 
hands-on and even rugged, I would say, type of creativity, which a great interest to me. That definitely would be more of me these days and my approach. My husband actually is very much a knife guy. But I noticed, I actually, when I emailed you once, you had just posted this picture of a kitchen knife that you made for a client. And I told you, I'm swooning over this knife. Yeah. Yeah. And I saw that you are, are branching in that direction. And I'm really excited to see more of what you guys come out with. And to get my hands on some of it, honestly, because the kitchen is everything. I mean... Obviously, as an Italian-American, but but just in general, and I have found for me that some of a lot of what I've done this past year coming out of that hole of needing more hands-on is happening in the kitchen. Absolutely. I am very much at a point in my life where cultivating beauty everywhere is up there as one of my top priorities. Absolutely. And... I think that if we can start looking at buying a knife, a handmade knife for our kitchen, for instance, from an artisan as an investment in beauty and an investment in something that will last in a world where almost nothing material, yes, the value, you know, what you're paying up front for it becomes reasonable, more than reasonable. Your knives to me clearly are things that they should get passed down. And for me, especially in my kitchen, I'm loving the idea of collecting knives like that, that are also utilitarian and then passing them down to my children. And then hopefully they pass them down. I mean, I don't, I don't know how long knives last, but I imagine pretty long time since we can- I have a lifetime warranty. (laughs) There you go. I mean, these are the kind of things you find when archaeologists excavate. Knives last a really long time. Right. Like, a lot of the work that I do more recently has been, like, restoration of knives. Oh, interesting. Um, so people have, like, these old kitchen knives. Mm. Um, and then I feel much more comfortable working on those. But, yeah, it's sometimes when I'm holding this material that doesn't belong to me but belongs to someone else. And I know that it came from someone's grandmother or mother or sister and you just kind of sit with it for a minute and you're like, God, this has its own story. You know, like this has lived a life and now it's going into this handle where it's, I have spent so many years now trying to figure out the right way to make sure that this material that's going in there is like lasting between drying out the material and quote unquote stabilizing the material, which means drying it, putting it into a liquid resin on a vacuum chamber and then like impregnating the material with the resin and then a curing process and then it's like I'm building I'm not putting things just pouring things into an epoxy and then whatever happens happens each individual piece is placed on the handle and then I've figured out in the last year how to sort of seal everything so that I mean my hope being in like the legacy knives your great-grandchildren and their great-grandchildren are going to be holding up this knife and being like Oh my gosh, you know, and then telling the stories while they're cooking. Right, right. You know, these knives fed our family for generations. I absolutely love it. I love it. I mean, it's why I started this show. And obviously the, the tagline is, you know, the tradition of living beautifully. And for me, it just, just came to this point in my life where I'd always been very creative and artistic, but you know, you just start to realize that this is it, right? (laughs) This is all we have. The home we're in, the food we eat, the place cook it in, how we cook it, who we eat it with, the table we eat it on. And right. It's all, it's all part of it. And if that isn't beautified as much as possible, then your life is less than what it could be. Well, I would imagine as being relatively new mama there that you probably see the world in an entirely different way. You're not just seeing it through your own yeah. things anymore. It's yeah, like, that's true too. Too. Yeah, absolutely. And cultivating a home where my son can feel that beauty mm-hmm. and see it and grow up in it and know it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm also fortunate my husband is very creative as well, and he's much more... He's very creative. He make he he's more like what's the word I'm looking for? 
I'm hands-on. He's more like machines hands-on. So he makes tables and he repurposes furniture and does, he's, he's got the shop. He's very good like that. I do want to ask you, I mean, we've been, been talking for a little bit, but I, we just kind of jumped in talking, which is great. And I didn't want to interrupt that. You mentioned leaving home at 16 and you've kind of mentioned that you're from the East coast and half Italian American, at least, which is better than none. We say half is better than nothing. (laughs) But how did you, how did you get to where you are now? We've talked, we jumped right into talking about where you are now, which I love, but how did you get here? So, you know, I grew up in North Jersey. We started moving around a lot when I was in eighth grade. And so we like, my parents had been divorced and my mom was just trying to find like the right situation for her. And a single mom and so we ended up moving to West Virginia where she was a she was basically like caretaking this amazing bed and breakfast in Wheeling West Virginia and then she fell in love with my stepdad and he was from New Jersey and so like in the middle of my eighth grade year we moved back to New Jersey but like a different part of New Jersey and then his son who's this genius going to this school in Princeton New Jersey and so that moved us again so like I was just moving around a lot and I think that I kind of, it was such an interesting time in my life to start moving because it's like, you're a young lady and like your hormones are changing and you're trying to figure out where you fit in and within your body and like within social settings and interests. And so all of a sudden, like within a year, I was exposed to so many different situations and having to find a way to sort of fit into those. And then we did my freshman year in Lawrenceville, Princeton, New Jersey. I think I was just at a point (laughs) point in my life where I felt really claustrophobic at home. There was just some sort of things that were going on internally that I think I just needed to get out of my system. Uh, I was just learning a lot about what was going on with my family and sort of seeing how dynamics are changing with like mixed family. My dad had married another woman Mm. I was not interested at all in school. I had went through a really, I think the catalyst to it in all honesty, I'd been bullied really, really badly in high school as like oh, a new girl. Geez. And, uh, I mean, and I think about it now and I think about like how traumatic it was. And then I look at what's happening now with social media and what these poor girls go through. And I just, when this was happening to me, this was like right when, instant messenger had just come out so I was being bullied a little bit through that but it was like mostly in school and now I think about like on this broad scale I mean that's a whole other conversation we can go into yeah yeah like the how how it's exponentially widened through yeah and just horrible it's really horrible so you know I just I think I just felt a little displaced maybe and I I think that I was trying to find my place in the world and so I made this, I just took the leap of faith and I left. You didn't finish high school. You went, you left oh, school yeah. too. Yeah, I got my GED. During that time when I left high school, I was working at a, it was before I left high school, but I, I was working at a barn in exchange for lessons. So it was like, I always found this like solace and this comfort with horses. So this girl, we were chatting and she's like, well, we need another Wrangler. And I was like, I haven't ridden in years. And she was like, oh. It's like riding a bike. We'd love to have you. So I spent the next four years wrangling for two different outfitters out there in the summertime and then waitressing in the in the uh, winters. Well, I was still waitressing in the summers too, but it was like half waitressing, half wrangling. And during that time is where like my love of knives came to be because when you're out in the backcountry and you've, you've got nine, ten horses and you have to have a knife on you at all times. Even if you're not in the backcountry, like you need to cut something off of a horse. If there's like a rope that's stuck or something happens, like you have to have a knife. So it's kind of like your lifeline. And I'm a little flighty, so I was losing my knives all the time and started learning more about what a knife meant. And I, I don't know, I just kind of started collecting these knives and not in like a big collector's way, but like I just grew an appreciation for them. Kept making a knife here and there. And then I finally got to a point where it was, I could do, I could stop waitressing and start really doing this. You know what I like about your story? It's interesting speaking to you in such detail because I wouldn't have known so much of that, obviously, 
just following you on Instagram, but you, you, you haven't been making knives for quote, your whole life. No. You didn't apprentice for 15 years before you felt confident enough to start selling them. It's really relatively new. And I'm, I'm sure it's a testament to your talent, to just like your innate artistic talent. But looking at your work and you online, I would never guess that. I would think this was something you've been doing for two decades. It was the first time I really, truly fell in love. I had tried so many different things. I had lived so many different places. I I didn't even know I was creative until this on a whim opportunity sort of came up. I was drawn to the knife, but I didn't wasn't drawn to this idea of knife making. And and when I told my family and friends I was like moving to Georgia to go make knives, I think they were all kind of like, "Yeah, okay, okay." Right. <laughs> sure. Yeah. This is something that will probably just be another thing that Kay does, but there was something for me that I think it was like, I don't think, I know it was every single part of my life that I had ever lived all existed in this one activity that I was doing. This like one motion of creating this thing. So it was like, I was able to bring the storytelling, the psych, kind of the psychology in way, the biology, like trying to figure out how to make these materials work, how to make them stabilized. It was my time working in New York with the networking and the wholesale. And then it was like the retail component of like having to talk to your clients and figure out what it is that they need. And so I can't imagine doing anything else. Right. It's almost like it was just there waiting for you to get to it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think I would have gotten to it had I not explored so many different. Mm. Which is, which is so compelling to me because well, clearly I, it resonates with me because my life has been similar. In fact, I just wrote this whole thing again the other night when my son woke me up. I don't know what's going on with him the past <laughs> few nights, but but I get up and I start doing things like research and writing. I guess it could be worse. And yeah, you know, a friend of mine had sent me a photo a few weeks ago from my time in Arkansas. She, she's We're still good friends, but I met her down there. She's her family's from there, et cetera. And I had never seen the photo before. And it just like blew my mind. It was just this snapshot of me at this time. And it's so many me's ago, (laughs) if that made sense. And I started just writing about the photo and thinking about how my path has just been so not straight, so uncharted and how I've always kind of admired the medical student who knew when she was 16, that she was going to be a doctor and right. She went to school. There's a path. You take this path, you get to the end, you're a doctor and you're a doctor for the rest of your life. It's just not been that way for me. I wanted to write, like I was very serious about writing. I wanted to be an author, like books, like Hemingway, old school books. And I'm still a writer, but it changes. It's just, I keep flowing in different directions. And like a season, like the way you're explaining it, it's there's seasons to things. There's seasons to things. I like that. I like that. But maybe in this society too, you feel as if you're lost. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Because it's, Because you're kind of like, well, what are you doing? You know, when you said that thing, here's another thing Kay is probably going to try and not do. I think we have this idea so much like we have to be experts in everything before we can really do them and let alone make money from them. And I, I love the idea of hearing you say that because I guess in my own way, it's something I need to hear because I do a lot of projects and I have had success in many ways, but I feel really like I'm still looking for the thing that pulls it all together. I think, oh God, and it's, again, it's the timing. I think sometimes we feel lost because we are attached to this idea of this expectation that we have for how it's supposed to be, maybe, mm-hmm. which I, I think a lot, of, a lot of that comes from like social media and like whatever. We were so in tune with what everyone else is mm-hmm. doing. And sometimes I think it's, I think for women specifically, and I can only speak to women because I'm not a man, nor do I know what it's like to be a man, but you hear these women throughout ages talk about this intuitive, 
need and this desire to fulfill, like we're fulfilling all these different roles of like mother and wife and daughter. And now we're in this age of we could do anything. So it's like, and then on top of that, there's all this comparison because of the timing of social media and I don't know what's out there. And then we were all sort of confined into this space where we needed to be confined. And then the outlet was like self-reflection, but also a lot of screen time. Yeah. And I think, I don't think you or I feel like are alone when we feel alone Mm. (laughs) Or, or not, not alone, but lost. It's just, oh, that's a good reminder. I think we're really hard on ourselves, especially when you've had a taste of there's just times again, seasons, phases of our lives where things are flowing and everything's just coming at you and it feels good and it's easy. And it's, and then there's other times where you're like, what, how, I don't understand. I think that's sort of where the blossoming of like the new creativity and the new ideas come from when we just let ourselves be in that place because we find like the self-compassion to just be like, it's okay. In essence, it's interesting to hear you say this. And I'm about to say something that is, I don't want to put this on you because you don't give this off and you don't deserve it. (laughs) Don't panic. It's not bad. I'm just trying to like frame it in a way, because I think if, if somebody said to me, what I'm about to say to you, I would feel like, Oh, and I don't want you to feel that way. But looking at the Stetson video, for instance, right, as opposed to all these months later, actually speaking with you, you are somebody that I looked at and thought, see, she figured it out. See, she's doing what I should be doing. See, she she has a shop. She's really making things. She's selling them. What are you doing, Dolores? What are you doing? I look at that video and I'm like, she had it all together. You know, like it's... Hmm. resonate with that. And I, I think that, and thank you for being so open with me about that, because what you're saying is what I feel. And it goes back. But I had this. So does that mean that I lost it? Or does that mean that this is like, we talked about this in the beginning before we recorded, I was like, I'm kind of in this hibernation phase right now, you know, like, I'm in the middle of planning a wedding and developing this relationship with my partner and, you know, we've been trying to have a baby. And so it's like, there's all these other things that are happening that I don't think could happen when I'm working in the shop every single day, like I was at that point in my life. And so I think what I'm getting at with that is that I had to let go of the expectation in order to be content and happy with myself that Stetson video, it's not that it wasn't real. I mean, all those words were mine, like all that experience, everything you saw was an actual part of my life. But it goes back to like the phases and the seasons and the changing and and letting go of the expectation of how it's always supposed to be. When we get to a point in our lives as women who are comparing one version of ourselves to the other version of ourselves, because we're so used to comparing ourselves to what we see that's out there, that's kind of where I think the magic starts to happen because it's like, if you can recognize that and you're like, it's just change. Like change doesn't have to be terrible. And it's also the life of a creative person. I totally heard you when you said, I'll always make knives. There's this like hesitation because I feel from you that you are in a period where you know you have to expand Kind of like I mentioned, I can't, now I can't even remember if we were recording or not when I said this, I I don't know. So everyone forgive me if I already said this, but kind of me doing the Italian American podcast, I loved it. It opened up so many doors and such a world to me and listeners, I I received letters from people. It was literally saying the show had changed their lives. So I'm so grateful for it, but you have to do more, something different. You have to just grow into your next season, as you would say. My little sister, she had this beautiful baby. He's five months old. This is the sister that lives out in San Francisco. And she is this like powerhouse of an executive for a makeup company in San Francisco. And she has just like blazed trails for this company and has moved up so quickly. And as she's leaving, her maternity leave is up June 1st. She goes back to work. And so a lot of the conversations that we've been having it's hard. It's a transition. It's like you were this 
version of yourself before you had a baby and then you were the pregnant version of yourself and then you were the mom of a pair version of yourself and now you're the mom that's going back to work and you don't know what that means and it's horrifying but it's also like on the same end of it you're like gosh I'm you know she's so grateful that she has this job and that they've given her this time and and so I think as as humans maybe it's just that transition into, again, I'm overdoing it, the phases and the seasons of change. Don't know what's going to happen. But I mean, I think as long as we shift the perspective and we like, we're all going to be okay. And the literally the best is always yet to come. It's like such a cheesy thing to say. And I post that a lot. I fully, fully believe that even if it's like a dark hour or uncertainty, it's just that quiet before the next magical storm of the next, the next chapter. I like that. The the quiet before the next magical storm. I really like that. That's a great quote. That's good. So, okay. We've been talking for more than an hour. Clearly <laughs> we have lots to talk about, but I do want to wrap up with circling back to the idea of working with your hands, because of course it's so, it's so much what attracted me to you and your work. And I'm pulling this again from Instagram you have this great black and white picture of your hands and they're all kind of basically like busted up. You have like a bandage on one and they're, they're obviously hands that have been working. And in the caption, you say, you write, but I can honestly say without a doubt, I'm the most content I've ever been in all of my 35 years. Yeah. I think, thank you for bringing that up. Cause I sort of <laughs> forgot about that. It reminds me of, of a time in my life where it was, it wasn't about happiness. It was like, just what do you need to feel content? And like, what does content mean? Does it mean even when you're in pain and your hands are bloody and you're sweaty and you're poor, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like you're still content in that moment. It's not so much about like chasing like happiness or that Stetson video, that Stetson video was again, like just a continuation of some of the most content pieces of my life, like where I was most content in pieces of my life. And it's interesting to hear people's perspective of what they gathered from that or what they saw from that, because I think the way we can put out pieces of our lives, very specific pieces of our lives, it's like the search for happiness. Oh, you're living the dream. Like, why isn't everybody quit their nine to five and like go ride horses? (laughs) But there was a lot of struggle in in all of those pieces of my life. You don't make a lot of money as a wrangler. Like you don't have your 401k or your health insurance or things like that. So this vision of, it stopped being a vision of like what happiness was supposed to be and just starting to live for what made me feel content, like learning lessons through the pain and doing work that made me feel like I was contributing to the world and not just taking from it. Mm, I really love that. And I think the idea of doing things simply because they make you happy is really something we all need to revisit. I recently got a text from a very good friend of mine who I admire a lot. And he said to me, I've been meaning to tell you, basically, I mean, I don't want to like compliment myself and actually quote him, but I basically, he was, he was telling me. Very, very nice things about the still lifes that I, I post on Instagram. And it floored me because I I just admire him so much that, you know, for him to say that, it meant so much to me. And he said, he asked me something about it, and then we just started talking about it. And I said, you know, when I was younger, I used to go into the dark room. I loved going to the dark room. I always loved taking photos. And then I don't know, somewhere along the line, I guess, I kind of stopped doing it or at least stop doing it seriously because maybe I thought I was never going to be great at it mm-hmm. or I could yeah. never, you know, I could never compete. Like kind of, you mentioned like the kitchen knives world earlier, you know, like how was I going to be a photographer or compete with that? And so I just kind of stopped taking it seriously. And he said, my gosh, you, know, you really are the hardest on yourself, aren't you? And, mm-hmm. and I, I said, that's probably true, but I'm getting better because I'm realizing that doing something just because it makes me happy is reason enough to do it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think kind of what we were talking about before with like these different versions of yourself and 
things that you've experienced and then feeling like maybe you're in transition or sometimes I feel like I'm like treading water, you know, and not in like a, like a bad way, but talking to a friend of mine the other day and she's like, I have this thing with all of my girlfriends where I always ask like, how's your heart? She sent me a message the other day and she's like, how's your heart? And I was like, <laughs> like the only way I can explain this is it's I'm floating in an ocean and I'm just kind of like the waves are going and I'm just gathering. I'm not even treading water. It's like that brink right before you're like, okay, I'm going to swim into shore. I'm going to run this marathon or like whatever the heck it is. But it's that very quiet, slow, but still like feeling of momentum that's like starting to build. Yes. I or like that. You're, it's, it has to be quiet because you have to be still enough to remember all of the bits and pieces and parts of you that got you to where you are, that like all of the things that have happened that have like made your heart beat fast. No one, that's not sustainable. Like you can't have that all the time. So you have to have the quiet moments. You have to have the moments of stillness. You have to have the moments of, it's not always peaceful because it doesn't always feel great. Just because it doesn't feel good doesn't mean it's not right. Mm. And it doesn't mean you're not on the brink of picking up that energy and reminding yourself of all of the reasons why you want to try the new thing. You want to get back into the dark room. You want to do whatever it is that, that your heart desires. And that's going to change again, you know, like <laughs> a year or two down the road, like you're going to fall into that new phase and that new place, but it's just the ebb and flow. And we have to stop putting that expectation on ourselves that it's always going to be a certain way. Mm. And that's because sometimes we find that like moment of like that aha moment of this is exactly where I'm supposed to be. That's exactly where you're supposed to be right now. But that doesn't mean that's where you're supposed to be a year from now, a week from now, like tomorrow. So I think you recognizing all of these pieces of things you used to love to do, things that made your heart beat fast, compliments that you're getting about your work that you're coming to terms with. It's just the quiet before the magical storm. <laughs> I love it. I love it. It's a terrific place to end this. And I I think what's so amazing is that this, you, you kind of hinted at this earlier. What's amazing is I always find these conversations with guests come just when I need them the most. So thank you. I had a conversation with on a podcast, but this came right. And so I love hearing that too. I love hearing that from guests. It's just, it's just the... God and, and the, the forces lining things up when they should be. So Kay, I want to thank you for being so generous with your time and your heart and sharing your story with me. It's been such a pleasure. It's an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for making the time for me as well. Thanks for joining me and Kay for what I hope was an inspiring conversation. Please don't hesitate to reach out with feedback, questions, and ideas. If you like what you hear, please consider leaving a review on iTunes. It really helps to spread the word about the show and it helps it to find other people who need its contents. You can find me on the web at bellafigurapodcast.com. And if you sign up for my newsletter right now, you'll receive a free bonus episode and a workbook on dream interpretation, where I use Robert A. Johnson's mythic and psychological approach to interpreting dreams, and I break the whole process down for you so that you can use it yourself. I love this approach to dream interpretation, and I use it. And it feels so much more resonant and personal than something like a dream dictionary, which of course gives the same exact interpretation for a dream to anybody who picks it up off the shelf. And you can get that now, the free bonus episode. Can't get it anywhere else except signing up for my newsletter and the free workbook, the free PDF workbook at bellafigurapodcast.com. That's B-E-L-L-A-F-I-G-U-R-A podcast.com. You can find me on Instagram at Dolores underscore Alfieri underscore Toronto. Here's to knowing your roots and cultivating a beautiful life from their power. 